Welcome to Washington Today on C-SPAN Radio for Thursday, January 12, 2023. Attorney General Merrick Garland appoints a special counsel to investigate the classified documents found at President Joe Biden's home in Delaware and at an office he once used in Washington, D.C. As President Biden acknowledges that a document marked classified from his time as vice president was found in his personal library and other documents were found in his garage. He's saying he's cooperating fully and completely with the investigations. On Capitol Hill, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy indicating that the Republican-controlled House committees will do their own investigations of President Biden's handling of classified documents. U.S. House today passing a bill to prohibit oil from the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve from being sold to Chinese-controlled entities. Inflation report from the Commerce Department shows inflation let up a bit in December, but is still high overall. It rose 6.5% versus last year. That's compared to 7.1% in November. Republican Congressman George Santos responding to calls from several Republicans and many Democrats that he resign after revelations he lied about his resume and there were allegations about campaign finance irregularities. In an interview today, he said he's done nothing wrong and plans to stay in office. Nebraska's new governor, Jim Pillen, naming the former governor, Republican Pete Ricketts, to fill the seat vacated by former Republican Senator Ben Sass, who resigned to become a university president. And an American held by Russia for almost a year reportedly been set free, Taylor Dudley of Lansing, Michigan, a Navy veteran. We start with Attorney General Merrick Garland announcing the appointment of a special counsel to review the handling of classified documents found at a former office used by President Biden and now the president's home in Wilmington, Delaware. The attorney general speaking at the Justice Department in Washington. This is his full statement, runs five and a half minutes. I'm here today to announce the appointment of Robert Herr as a special counsel pursuant to Department of Justice regulations governing such matters. In keeping with those regulations, I have today notified the designated members of each House of Congress of the appointment. I'm joined today by John Lausch, the U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, who conducted the initial investigation into the matter that I will describe today. On the evening of November 4, 2022, the National Archives Office of Inspector General contacted a prosecutor at the Department of Justice. It informed him that the White House had notified the archives that documents bearing classification markings were identified at the office of the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement, located in Washington, D.C. That office was not authorized for storage of classified documents. The prosecutor was also advised that those documents had been secured in an archives facility. On November 9th, the FBI commenced an assessment consistent with standard protocols to understand whether classified information had been mishandled in violation of federal law. On November 14th, pursuant to Section 600.2B of the Special Counsel Regulations, I assigned U.S. Attorney Lausch to conduct an initial investigation to inform my decision whether to appoint a special counsel. Mr. Lausch has served as the U.S. Attorney in Chicago since 2017. Before that, he spent more than a decade as an assistant U.S. Attorney in that same office. I selected him to conduct the initial investigation because I was confident his experience would ensure that it would be done professionally and expeditiously. On December 20th, 
President Biden's personal counsel informed Mr. Lausch that additional documents bearing classification markings were identified in the garage of the president's private residence in Wilmington, Delaware. President Biden's counsel informed Mr. Lausch that those documents were among other records from the period of the president's service as vice president. The FBI went to the location and secured those documents. On January 5th, 2023, Mr. Lausch briefed me on the results of his initial investigation and advised me that further investigation by a special counsel was warranted. Based on Mr. Lausch's initial investigation, I concluded that under the special counsel regulations, it was in the public interest to appoint a special counsel. In the days since, while Mr. Lausch continued the investigation, the department identified Mr. Herr for appointment as special counsel. This morning, President Biden's personal counsel called Mr. Lausch and stated that an additional document bearing classification markings was identified at the president's personal residence in Wilmington, Delaware. When I first contacted Mr. Lausch about this matter, he said he could lead the initial investigation but would be unable to accept any longer-term assignment because he would be leaving the department in early 2023 for the private sector. U.S. Attorney Lausch and his team of prosecutors and agents have conducted this initial investigation with professionalism and speed. I am grateful to them. Earlier today, I, I signed an order appointing Robert Herr a special counsel for the matter I've just described. The document authorizes him to investigate whether any person or entity violated the law in connection with this matter. The special counsel will not be subject to the day-to-day -day supervision of any official of the department, but he must comply with the regulations, procedures, and policies of the department. Mr. Herr has a long and distinguished career as a prosecutor. In 2003, he joined the department's criminal division, where he worked on counterterrorism, corporate fraud, and appellate matters. From 2007 until 2014, Mr. Herr served as an assistant U.S. attorney for the District of Maryland, where he prosecuted matters ranging from violent crime to financial fraud. In 2017, Mr. Herr rejoined the department as the principal associate deputy attorney general. In 2018, he was nominated and confirmed to serve as a U.S. attorney for the District of Maryland. As U.S. attorney, he supervised some of the department's more important national security, public corruption, and other high-profile matters. I will ensure that Mr. Herr receives all the resources he needs to conduct his work. As I have said before, I strongly believe that the normal processes of this department can handle all investigations with integrity. But under the regulations, the extraordinary circumstances here require the appointment of a special counsel for this matter. This appointment underscores for the public the department's commitment to both independence and accountability in particularly sensitive matters and to making decisions indisputably guided only by the facts and the law. I am confident that Mr. Herr will carry out his responsibility in an even-handed and urgent manner and in accordance with the highest traditions of this department. Thank you all. Have you ever spoken to the president about this investigation, sir? Attorney General Merrick Garland at the Justice Department, not answering any reporter's questions. The new special counsel, Robert Herr, putting out a statement 
I will conduct the assigned investigation with fair, impartial, and dispassionate judgment. I intend to follow the facts swiftly and thoroughly without fear or favor and will honor the trust placed in me to perform this service. Washington Post with some background on Robert Hur. You heard Attorney General Merrick Garland mention some of this. He's a veteran attorney who began his legal career as a Supreme Court clerk, worked as a federal prosecutor, led a U.S. attorney's office, served as a top Justice Department official, and spent time working for some of the most prominent law firms in Washington. The person he clerked for was then Chief Justice uh, William Rehnquist, and he was a federal prosecutor, U.S. attorney in Maryland, and at the Justice Department, Deputy Attorney General under President Donald Trump. Robert Hur also spent time working for those prominent law firms where he is now. Today's appointment of the special counsel in the Joe Biden classified document case follows Merrick Garland's appointment in November of another special counsel, Jack Smith, to oversee pending investigations of former President Donald Trump, including the classified documents held at his Florida home after he left the White House. President Biden said at a news conference on Tuesday he does not know the contents of the documents found at his former office in Washington and said the discovery came as a surprise. Today at a news conference, he was asked about the documents found at his home in Delaware. Okay. Classified, classified material next to your Corvette. What were you thinking? Let me, uh, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon. But as I said earlier this week, people, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage. Okay, so it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So the but anyway. Was in a Yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, But as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. I also said we're cooperating fully and completely with the Justice Department's review. As part of that process, my lawyers reviewed other places where documents uh, from my time as vice president were stored, and they finished the review last night. They discovered a small number of documents of classified markings and storage areas and file cabinets in my home and my, in my, my, my personal library. This was done in the case of the Biden Penn, and th- this was done in the case of the Biden Penn Center. The Department of Justice was immediately, as was done, the Department of Justice was immediately cl- uh, uh, no- notified, and uh, the lawyers arranged for the Department of Justice to take possession of the document. So you're going to see, we're going to see all this unfold. I'm confident. President Biden today in the Eisenhower Executive Office building next to the White House, taking some reporters' questions. Later, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre during her regular White House briefing with reporters, reading a statement from Richard Sauber, whose title is Special Counsel to the President, It reads, we are confident that a thorough review will show that these documents were inadvertently misplaced and the president and his lawyers acted promptly upon discovery of this mistake. Green Jean-Pierre asked today during her briefing about how the information so far has been disclosed by the White House. In his initial statement, the White House came out on Monday, the president addressed us on Tuesday in Mexico City. All the conversation was about the documents in the office. However, according to the attorney general, documents were found on December 20th in his garage in Wilmington. Why was that not immediately addressed? Is the White House being transparent about that if that was already known and not discussed up front? So just to, you said transparent. I want to say that we have been transparent here. 
that is why the minute that his lawyers found those documents, uh, they reported it. They reached out to the archives and the Department of Justice, and they did that voluntarily. Uh, and they were not compelled to do it. They did it voluntarily. Now, I want to step back a little bit as you're asking me about the timeline. Look, the lawyer said we have been working closely with the Department of Justice and coordinating a search that was still ongoing uh, to ensure any additional documents were in the proper possession of the government. After that search, uh, after the search concluded last night, uh, we released a statement disclosing the facts from that search, as you all know, this morning. Uh, this is all part of the Justice Department process, and you heard the Attorney General speak to this today. Uh, so we are being very careful to be uh, fully cooperative with the Department of Justice and providing details as appropriate as part of that process. So I only described the documents when we were firstly asked this week. Because and I and I actually answered that question. I said because there was a process uh, happening that was currently ongoing, and uh, and I'll refer you back to my comments that I made uh, just yesterday. Go ahead, Mayor. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre with reporters in the White House briefing room. On Capitol Hill, the House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, saying that Congress has an obligation to investigate President Biden's handling of classified documents either through the newly created subcommittee on the, quote, weaponization of the federal government or another committee. Speaker McCarthy holding his own news conference in the Capitol building. That Congress has a priority to investigate Biden's handling of classified documents, but... Yes. You don't think that Congress has a priority to investigate Trump's handling of classified documents? Well, what's an interesting question to me is, they put a special prosecutor on that. They raided Marlago when he was gone. They came in with sirens and everything else. Even though they had already met, they knew it was there. They said, put another lock on. They put another lock on it. Had they asked, they could have just picked it up. But why would they do that? Why would they go after a political opponent that way? Why would they leak photos and say all this? Why would they go through the former first lady's clothing? Why would they go through his son's clothing? Why would they raid in the manner which they did? At the same time, prior to an election, you found a sitting president when he was vice president with top secret documents. Why did they handle that differently? We're in America. We believe in equal justice. Why did they not even tell America that that transpired? How did he sit before 60 minutes knowing what he had done? How do we find out a second location and he's shocked by it? Why aren't you asking him these questions? Why doesn't he come forth to the American public? We don't think there needs to be a special prosecutor, but I think Congress has, has a role to look. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy with reporters today on Capitol Hill. This week, Congressman James Comer, Republican from Kentucky, chair of the Oversight and Accountability Committee, it's renamed from the previous Oversight and Reform Committee, putting out a press release that says that he is requesting information from the National Archives and Records Administration and the White House Counsel's Office about President Biden's failure to return highly classified records from his time as vice president. This is Washington Today. U.S. House representatives today passing a bill that would prohibit sales of oil from the U.S. Strategic Petroleum Reserve to any entity under the control, ownership, or influence of the Chinese Communist Party, unless the oil would not be exported directly to China. Fox News reports that the bill was brought up by Republicans after the Biden administration's decision last year to sell nearly one million barrels of oil from the SPR, or SPRO, to 
Unipec America, a U.S.-based company owned by China. The vote today in the House was 331 to 97, 113 Democrats joining Republicans in voting yes. Here's some of the House floor debate led by the leaders of the Energy and Commerce Committee, Republican Chair Kathy McMorris-Rogers of Washington State, and the ranking Democrat Frank Pallone from New Jersey. Frank Pallone begins. Mr. Speaker, I I find myself compelled to point out that listening to Republican arguments today, you'd think that they have been sacred stewards of the SPRO, and that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, when Republicans had the majority in both the House and the Senate from 2015 to 2019, they passed six bills, none of which had anything to do with energy, that raided the SPRO for a total of over 260 million barrels of crude. Now the Republicans stand here criticizing President Biden's usage usage of the SPRO, and it's laughable. President Biden's usage of the SPRO has helped lower gas prices by nearly $1.80 per gallon since their peak. And while the Republicans want to pretend they're tough on China, it's really the opposite that's true. Last year, the Biden administration was forced to sell 20 million barrels from the SPRO under one of those laws that I mentioned earlier that passed a Republican-controlled Congress. The Republicans did did include any restrictions, no restrictions or stipulations on that sale, and as a result, the administration was forced to sell to the highest bidders, including a firm owned by the People's Republic of China. Now, again, I'm gonna stress in closing, The Republicans caused China to have a huge petroleum reserve by lifting the ban on crude oil in 2015 when they were in the majority. We would not have this problem. The House is not in order. Please take your conversations off the floor. Gentlemen may resume. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Prior to 2015, when the Republicans lifted the ban on exports of crude oil, We had that ban in place for 40 years, 40 years. And then in 2015, they came in and they lifted the ban. So they caused this problem. And during the Trump administration, the amount of crude oil that was sold to China was unbelievable. As a result, the petroleum reserve, you know, increased significantly in China. They took advantage of the situation. Now, if you really wanted to do something today, First of all, you'd say that the SPRO should not only be banned uh, by selling uh, oil from, uh, from the SPRO to China, but you should say that you can't sell it to Russia, you, couldn't, you can't sell it to Iran, you can't sell it to North Korea, you can't sell it to our adversaries, which is exactly what uh, the gentlewoman from Pennsylvania, Ms. Houlihan's bill, does on a bipartisan basis. But even beyond that, you could simply say no crude oil should be sold at all, exported at all, or certainly not exported to our adversaries. And that's not what's happening here. So this is a problem that was created by the Republicans, and they pretend that they're doing something about it today, but in fact they are not. And the reason is because they're with the big oil, they're with the special interests that want to sell this crude oil, continue to sell it overseas, and they don't care that it goes to our adversaries. That's the bottom line. This bill is not going to accomplish anything. And so I would urge my colleagues to vote no on the legislation. And with that, I yield back the balance of my time. Gentleman yields back the balance of his time. Gentlelady from Washington is recognized to close. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Leadership matters. 
American leadership matters. You can't be a diplomatic power without being a military power. You can't be a military power without being an economic power. And you cannot be an economic power without energy. In order to reverse the damage to our energy security and our global leadership, we must flip the switch and unleash American energy production. We need to stop the Biden administration from wasting our, str our strategic reserves. It's time to cut the red tape and expand energy production here at home, modernize our infrastructure, and create new opportunities for jobs and economic development. The Democrats suggested if the bills included Iran, Russia, North Korea, that they would support it. The fact of the matter is, those are the countries this administration has gone to. They've gone to OPEC, Iran, and, and Russia, and actually asked them to produce more oil. Ladies and gentlemen, I look forward to the passage of this bill today, and I'm eager, I am eager to work with my colleagues on additional solutions to make energy more affordable, more reliable. It is America that is leading in clean, reliable, renewable, affordable energy, and it is so important to energy dominance. It's important to American leadership. It's important to our economy. It's important to every person in this country that has been living with record high energy prices. Every time they go to the, the gas station to fill up over the last couple of years, they have been experiencing record high energy prices. Ladies and gentlemen, we are prepared to lead. We want to unleash American energy, unleash clean American energy jobs. This is important to our national security. It's important to our economic security. I urge everyone to vote yes. Pass H.R. 22. It's just the beginning. There's more to come. With that, I yield back. Congresswoman Kathy McMorris Rogers, Republican. And before that, Frank Pallone, Democrat, the leaders of the Energy and Commerce Committee. Today on the House floor, before the House passed this bill, and the vote was 331 to 97, voting yes, 218 Republicans and 113 Democrats, and voting no, 97 Democrats. The bill now goes to the Senate. President Biden reacting to today's Commerce Department inflation report. The CPI, or Consumer Price Index, up 6.5% in December versus the year before. That is down from November's 7.1%. President tweeting, for the six month in a row, yearly inflation is down. It might be rising in economies around the world, but it's coming down here. And gas prices, food and more are following. That adds up to a break for families and proof that my plan is working. President Biden later speaking at the Eisenhower Executive Office building. Today we've got some good news. Good news about the economy. For the six month in a row, inflation has come down. Measured over the last 12 months, it has fallen 6.5 to 6.5%. That's down from 7.1% the month before. It's down from 9.1% this summer. Inflation is now at its lowest level since October of 2021. When we look at, the, at the, just the last three months, we see that inflation fell to 1.8% on an annualized basis. It's down from more than 11% in the first three months of last year. So the data is clear. Even though inflation is high in major economies around the world, it's coming down in America month after month, giving families some real breathing room. And the big reason is falling gas prices. My administration took action to get oil onto the market and bring down prices. Now gas is down more than $1.70 from its peak. And that adds up to a family with a typical family with two vehicles to a savings of $180 a month, every single month that stays in their pockets instead of being spent at the pump. Food inflation is slowing as well. 
Last month, we saw the smallest increase in food prices in almost two years. And much of that increase was due to the avian flu outbreak, which has driven up the egg prices around in the United States. It's not just gas and food prices, though. When we look at what economists call core inflation, which takes out energy and food, we see welcome news as well. Core inflation is down to the lowest level in a year. Over the past three months, core inflation has come down to 3% on an annualized basis. That's down from more than 6% at the beginning of 2022. The cost of goods is actually falling as prices from everything from computers to used cars are coming down as well. And inflation in the core services is moderating as well. You know, and as inflation is coming down, take-home pay for workers is going up. Workers' wages are higher now than they were seven months ago, adjusted for inflation. Wages for lower-income and middle-income workers have gone up even more. It all adds up to a real break for consumers, real breathing room for families, and more proof that my economic plan is working. President Joe Biden today speaking in the Eisenhower Executive Office building. He also criticized House Republicans for passing a bill this week to cut IRS funding and for their plans dealing with spending and taxes. He said House Republicans campaigned on inflation. They didn't say if elected their plan was to make inflation worse. Let me be very clear. If any of these bills make it to my desk, I will veto them. Congressman Jason Smith, Republican from Missouri, is the new chair of the Ways and Means Committee which has jurisdiction over taxes, Social Security, Medicare, and trade. He tweeted today, inflation has gone up 13.9% since President Biden took office because of Democrats' $10 trillion spending spree. The American people are demanding Congress use every tool in the toolbox to eliminate reckless spending. Congressman Smith attached a clip of an interview he did on Fox Business to his tweet. The Republicans are not going to shut down government. The American people are the ones that's demanding the cut in spending. When you've seen just in the last two years of one-party Democrat rule where they added more than $10 trillion of new spending that has led to the highest inflation in 40 years, inflation's gone up 13.9%. Since Joe Biden's taken the oath of office, they are demanding that we use every tool in the toolbox to eliminate reckless spending. And if you look at the history of the debt limit, in fact, when Obama and Biden were in office to increase the debt limit. They also passed a CAPS agreement. We have to have fiscal reforms moving forward. We cannot just give an unlimited credit card. Congressman Jason Smith, Republican from Missouri, Ways and Means Committee chair on Fox Business Channel. He tweeted out that clip himself. Wall Street today, the Dow up 215, Nasdaq up 69, S&P up 13. From the Associated Press, the Justice Department accused Los Angeles-based City National Bank on Thursday of discrimination by refusing to underwrite mortgages in predominantly black and Latino communities, requiring the bank to pay more than $31 million in the largest redlining settlement in department history. City National is the latest bank in the past several years to be found systematically avoiding lending to racial and ethnic minorities a practice that the Biden administration has set up its own task force to combat. That from AP. Washington Today continues in a moment. Welcome back to Washington Today, available as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts and on the C-SPAN Now mobile app. NBC4 in New York 
writing, slamming the coverage of his travails as media nonsense, Congressman George Santos, Republican from New York, on Thursday defiantly insisted he had no plans to resign from Congress. His comments come one day after virtually the entire Republican leadership of New York called on George Santos to resign from Congress, saying he was disgraced and needed to step aside. In recent weeks, George Santos has admitted to lying about his educational background, his work experience, and his investments, and he faces a growing list of alleged fabrications and purported financial misconduct that he has not yet acknowledged or refuted. That from NBC4. Congressman Santos interviewed today on the program War Room on the TV network Real America's Voice. I came here to serve the people, not politicians and party leaders, and uh, and I'm going to do just that. And I've been doing just that throughout this entire first two weeks, whether it was voting for the speaker or whether it's been the last week where we've been working on legislation in my office. So, you know, I, I wish well all of their opinions, but I was elected by 142,000 people. Until those same 142,000 people tell me they don't want me, uh, we'll find out in two years. What do those 142,000 people deserve in a representative? They deserve somebody who's going to come here and fight and not get involved with the media nonsense that we're seeing take place, right? Look, a lot of people are saying that I am unable to govern, I'm unable to deliver. But in the meantime, my office and my staff, uh, we've been able to jump on co-sponsoring legislation such as term limits, which you spoke about earlier. You know, there's not a lot of people running to jump on this, specifically the ones criticizing me. They want to stay here forever. I don't want to stay here forever. I want to come here, do the best I can with the time I have, and deliver for the American people. And that's going to be through fighting crime, inflation, and whatnot. That's what they elected me to do, and that's what I'm going to give them. Congressman George Santos, Republican from New York, on the program War Room on Real America's Voice, program normally hosted by Steve Bannon. Today, that other voice you heard, the guest host, Congressman Matt Gates, Republican from Florida. Here's more of the interview where Matt Gates asked George Santos about where about $700,000 he lent his election campaign came from. Embellishing one's resume isn't a crime. It's frankly how a lot of people get to Congress, and we we want everyone to be honest. And again, you've acknowledged that, and and you're working for it going forward. Uh, One of the principal critiques I've heard is that a lot of money uh, was donated to your campaign by you, 700,000, I believe. Where did it come from? Well, I'll tell you where it didn't come from. It didn't come from China, Ukraine, or Burisma. How about that? Well, yeah, that, that, that is an answer. I mean, I also put money into my campaign when I ran. I had to sell some of the property that I had acquired in my life in order to fund something that I really believed in. And, you know, when I was raising money for different charities, I always tried to put my own money in first. And so, you know, when you uh, donated that money to your campaign, is there anything else you can say about uh, the work you did that was the origin of, of those resources? Look, I've, I've worked my entire life. I've lived an honest life. I've never been uh, accused suit of, of any bad doing. So, you know, it's it's my, it's the equity of my hard working self and I, I invested inside of me. Like I said, it didn't come from Burisma. It didn't come from Ukraine, Russia, China, uh, unlike some folks that we all know that get money from those sources. Congressman George Santos, Republican from New York, interviewed by Congressman Matt Gates, Republican from Florida on Real America's Voice, that TV channel. An article at the New York Times is titled The Mysterious Unregistered Fund that raised big money for Santos. The subtitle is A Review of Records and Newly Uncovered Documents Reveals That Efforts to Elect George Santos May Have Run Afoul of Campaign Finance Rules. The article says that fund is Redstone Strategies, and you can read more about it at NewYorkTimes.com. 
House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, Republican from California, asked at his news conference today on Capitol Hill about any plans when it comes to Congressman Santos. Do you trust someone who has admitted to lying about major aspects of his past, could be facing fraud charges from Brazil to have access to top secret information? I don't see any way that he's going to have top secret. If you're referring to George Santos, he's got a long way to go to earn trust. But the one thing I do know is you, you apply the Constitution equal to all Americans. The voters of his district have elected him. He is seated. He is part of the Republican conference. There are concerns about it, so he will go before ethics. If anything is found to be wrong, he will be held accountable exactly as anybody else in this body would be. That is the fair way to handle anything you go, and that's how I'll deal with any single issue that ever comes forward. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy at his news conference. This week, two House Democrats from New York, Richie Torres and Daniel Goldman, filed a complaint with the House Ethics Committee requesting it open an investigation into allegations that Congressman Santos failed to file timely, accurate, and complete financial disclosure reports. Those two members also hand-delivering a copy of the complaint to Congressman Santos's office. The House Democratic leader, Hakeem Jeffries, also from New York, asked today at his own news conference what action, if any, should be taken in this case. George Santos, one of your delegation members, so far five Republicans have called for him to resign, including four in New York. Do you think that he should resign, um, and do you expect Democrats to try to take any action to force some kind of House punishment for him? Well, the spectacle that is George Santos speaks for itself. He's a complete and total fraud, lied to the voters of the 3rd Congressional District in New York, deceived and connived his way into Congress, and it's now the responsibility of House Republicans to do something about it. There are ongoing investigations. The Nassau County District Attorney investigating George Santos. The Queens County District Attorney investigating George Santos. The State Attorney General investigating George Santos. Apparently, the U.S. Attorney from the Eastern District of New York investigating George Santos. Brazilian authorities investigating George Santos. And ethics complaints have been filed calling for an investigation of George Santos. This is not a partisan issue, but it is an issue that Republicans need to handle. Clean up your house, and you can start with George Santos. Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, Democrat from New York, the minority leader of the House, at a news conference today. Nebraska Governor Jim Pillen, a Republican, today appointing former Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts, Republican, to fill the U.S. Senate seat vacated by former Nebraska U.S. Senator Ben Sass, Republican. Pete Ricketts just left office as governor after serving two four-year terms. Ben Sass resigned as U.S. Senator to become president of the University of Florida. At a news conference in Lincoln, Nebraska, Governor Pillen describing the selection process. We had nine folks, nine Nebraskans that we interviewed, and uh, they've each one have had distinguished careers in all different uh, in public service, uh, 
and in business. And uh, they uh, uh, each uh, touched me about their pure heart and desire for public service and make a difference for Nebraska. Um, each, uh, this was a very, very hard decision and some I've known for a long time. Uh, so uh, only in Nebraska can we have 111 applicants and nine incredible Nebraskans to interview, to serve, uh, and because this is rigorous. And ultimately, uh, ultimately, the timing of this uh, is, is uh, very, very rigorous. And uh, my belief in not a placeholder and my belief in seniority being really, really important, uh, running statewide elections and winning statewide elections in 24 and 26 is rigorous and demanding. And uh, ultimately, that was a, a big separator. Uh, the other thing that in the seniority, and uh, we talked, uh, we we, I hold I hold really close to the corn stock. And uh, Governor Ricketts assured me that uh, no matter who calls for a different job, he is committed to the United States Senate. No matter who calls him to become a vice president of the United States, who calls him to become secretary. Very flattering. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> We are Nebraska, right? We are Nebraska. Uh, who calls to be Secretary of State or any other thing, he's committed to this seat, and he and Suzanne have committed to winning elections and uh, at a minimum of 10 years. I'm praying it's going to be longer than that, and you're going to love it there, Suzanne. <laughs> uh, so those were important things. Nebraska Governor Jim Pillen today in Lincoln, Nebraska, a news conference with Pete Ricketts. And what that means is the commitment to try to run for the seat in 2024 and 2026 if he wins the first time around. Pete Ricketts today asked about his political philosophy and his conservative views compared to those of the senator he's replacing, Ben Sass. Question was, how do I see myself as being different from Senator Sass and uh, who am I taking to Washington, D.C.? Actually, first of all, I'll start by saying I think there's going to be a lot of similarities from the standpoint of Senator Sass was a very conservative vote there. Again, he focused on getting conservative judges onto the bench, but judges who understand the meaning of the Constitution. I share that same value. In fact, that's what we've done as I've appointed judges here in Nebraska as well. Uh, Senator Sass was very keen on strong national events, especially uh, national defense, especially with regard to the threat of the Chinese Communist Party. I also share those same concerns. So I think there's going to be a lot more similarities around the issues that he and I are going to be focused on, which are, again, kind of the conservative values that, that we share. So I think there's going to be a lot of similarity on the issues. I can't think of specific issues that we differ on right off the top of my head, though I'm, you know, even conservatives will disagree on different issues, but I can't think of one off the top of my head. But I do think it's important that we have that same conservative thought and values and philosophy coming to D.C. And, um, uh, you know, Governor Pillen here has been very kind to, you know, appoint me. And so one of the things that uh, I'm going to have to do is put together a team. And my former chief of staff, Matt Milberg, will help me put together that team and, and uh, you know, work to, in Washington, D.C. to get that put together as quickly as possible. But uh, we don't have it. I don't have anybody else that I can tell you right now is going to be a part of that. Pete Ricketts at today's news conference in Lincoln, Nebraska, on being appointed U.S. Senator. The Senate 
Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Republican from Kentucky, putting out a statement. I'm thrilled to hear that Nebraska's outstanding former Governor Pete Ricketts is heading here to the U.S. Senate. Governor Pillen could not have found a more capable leader to take the baton from our colleague, Senator Sass, and fight for the corn husker state. And again, it's Republican replacing Republican, so the balance of power in the Senate does not change. Story from the Albuquerque Journal, former New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson and the Richardson Center for Global Engagement announced Thursday that Taylor Dudley, a Navy veteran, was released from Russia, where he had been held since April 2022. Bill Richardson said in a statement, it is significant that despite the current environment between our two countries, the Russian authorities did the right thing by releasing Taylor today, and we celebrate Taylor's safe return. We remain very concerned for Paul Whelan and committed to continue our work on his safe return as we have been for the last four years, as well as other Americans. Paul Whelan is a former Marine who's been detained in Russia since 2018. The U.S. State Department has said that he's been sentenced to 16 years in prison after a secret trial, and the government considers Paul Whelan to be wrongfully detained. More on the release, though, of Taylor Dudley today from the State Department with spokesperson Ned Price. Ned, what can you say about this U.S. Navy veteran who was released uh, in Poland and former Governor Richardson was um, apparently instrumental in securing his release? Um, Can you guys confirm and provide some details on what happened there? Uh, Unfortunately, there is little that I can say uh, for reasons that you all know well, but I can uh, make a few points. Uh, First, we're aware of reports that a U.S. citizen was deported uh, after having been in Russian custody. Uh, I'm not in a position to uh, discuss the particulars of this case due to uh, privacy considerations that so often limit what we can say publicly. Uh, But as we always do, I want to emphasize that this department, the Department of State, has no higher uh, priority uh, than the safety and security of U.S. citizens overseas. As a general matter, when a U.S. citizen is Uh, deported from anywhere around the world, and of course this would include uh, Russia. Uh, The department may provide assistance to help facilitate the return of that citizen to the United States. Uh, And as always, uh, we stand ready to provide appropriate assistance to all U.S. citizens uh, overseas. Uh, To the second part of your question regarding the Richardson Center, of course I would refer you uh, there. We're likewise aware of Uh, the Richardson Center's travel, which they have announced, but uh, not going to comment on uh, their travel or uh, activity in this case, again, uh, owing to those privacy considerations. State Department spokesperson Ned Price at a briefing today. CNN reports that Taylor Dudley, 35 years old of Lansing, Michigan, was detained by Russian Border Patrol police in April 2022 after crossing from Poland into Kaliningrad, a Russian enclave which is territory governed by Moscow between Poland and Lithuania. He was in Poland attending a music festival, and it's not clear why he crossed the border. That from CNN. On the war in Ukraine, a lot of focus on the city of Solodar in the east. CBS News calling that battle one of the most ferocious of Russia's nearly year-long campaign, with Moscow desperate for a win and Kiev determined to hold ground. Some questions about this today to John Kirby, the national Security Council Strategic Communications Coordinator, taking part in the White House briefing. 
United States concerned that uh, Solodar has fallen to the Russians or is, could be falling to the Russians? Can't confirm the reports that it's fallen. I mean, I've seen the, the Russian proclamations about this. Uh, the Ukrainians tell a different story. We're not on the ground, so I, I'm not, we're not in a position to confirm it. Um, it's a small village in the Donbass. Uh, uh, we believe that the Russian interest in it um, is sort of twofold. One, because they see it's... Uh, securing it as key to their ability to hold and sec secure it and to hold Bakhmut. Um, there's also salt mines uh, there, so we also think that there's a bit of an economic incentive, particularly by Mr. Prigozhin, uh, to take possession. And if Russia were to take Solodar, what would that say about Russian advances in that area? I think we. Yeah, great question. I, I think look, we got to take a little. We got to keep this in perspective. Um, uh, we don't know how it's going to go, so I'm not going to predict failure or success here. But even if uh, both Bakhmut and Solodar fall to the Russians, it's not going uh, to make a, uh, it's not going to have a strategic impact on the war itself. And it certainly isn't going to stop the Ukrainians or, or slow them down in terms of their, uh, their efforts to regain their territory. And I would remind, I mean, I know we're all focused on those two towns right now, but just, again, take a couple of steps back, and if you look at what's been happening over the last 10 and a half months, particularly in the Donbass, towns and villages have swapped hands quite frequently. So uh, my, my last comment would be, don't count the Ukrainians out. John Kirby in the White House briefing room. He is the Strategic Communications Coordinator for the National Security Council. Reuters reporting today, Ukrainian forces in the eastern city of Solodar are holding their positions and inflicting significant losses on Russian troops, President Volodymyr Zelensky said in a video address on Thursday. Thanks for listening to Washington Today. Sign up for C-SPAN's evening newsletter, Word for Word, to get the stories Washington is talking about sent to your inbox every day. Subscribe at c-span.org connect. Have a good night.